We're going to start in Exodus and make our way to Galatians. <laughs> Exodus 34. Verse 4. So Moses cut out two tablets of stone like the first. Early in the morning, he went up to Mount Sinai, just as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the Lord by name. The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. Responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. What we discovered last week is one of the main points Paul is trying to make in Galatians is that we have inheritance issues. Some of us were born behind the curve because of something our great-great-grandfather did. Some of us were born with a leg up because of something our great-great-grandfather did. We have inheritance issues. Surely there's a way out. This is what Paul's proposing. Surely there's a way out. And we talked about this last week. In order for us to get a way out... We needed a new father who wouldn't pass down a cursed seed. In order to get a new father, we would need to either die or be born again or both. So what we've done is we've changed our diet because we know that we've inherited a propensity to be a diabetic. What we've done is we have swore that we'll never be like them. We see that they were this way and they were this way because their father was that way and they were that way because their father was that way and we look back and we say, I swear I'll never be like them. And so if we were raised in the country, we moved to the city. If we are raised in the city, we moved to the country. Because we realize the only way out is to be delivered from this curse that I did not sign up for.
Were we handed an inevitable fate? What I'm saying there, here's the question I'm asking. Whose image are we made in? Most often than not, we know who we are by observing the reflection of the countenance of the one who cares for us. A child, a child, according to the psychologist, is no such thing. There's no such thing, according to the, uh, the psyche of a child, as a child. What you have is a thing called a mother child. So what a child is, according to the psychologist, is a reflection of the countenance of the caregiver. I would say my boys have a father child. Because I spend most of the time with them. So whether or not they are good is determined by what they see in the mirror. What is their mirror? The reflection of the one who is entrusted, who they've been entrusted to. Now, where we handed an inevitable fate, this is where this debate comes in. The debate is called the nature versus nurture debate, right? So is my child the way my child is? Am I the way I am because of something I inherited or because of the way I was raised? Well, after years of the nature versus nurture debate, we have come to know, yes, I am the way I am, both by what a result of what I've inherited and a result of how I've been cared for or not. Right? Now, why, why are we talking about this? We're supposed to be in Galatians. I jumped all the way back to Exodus 34 where there's a statement where Moses comes down with the, the second round of the tablets, the law, and there's a statement there that God by no means leaves the guilty unpunished. Responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. What that would have someone believe is that I have received an inevitable fate because of the decisions made one, two, three, four generations back. How many of y'all ever believed this about yourself? Nobody, okay. Bad guess. Okay, three, two of you. I just assumed some of us would believe this about yourself. Um, thank you. Okay, we're getting, the hands are coming. Um, there's a resurgence, and it's probably because the technology is now so easily available, where most people now are trying to figure out where they come from. And you can do this with a little, send your TT off, or a little swab. Right? Spit. Maybe not TT. I haven't done it, just for that reason. I didn't want to send my TT. Um, so you send this off and you find out, who am I? This is how we find it out. Who am I? I am this compilation of unions between two loving parties. A bunch of loving parties. That was them and then them and then them and them and them. And them, and them. I'll, I'll, this is who I am, right? And because of whatever they passed down, um, whether good or bad, I received it and there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, we call this our personality. This is just who I am. It's the way I am. It's the way, I, where they, I mean, it's the way we are. But here's what I want you to know. 
the scripture also talks about how there is no such thing as the Christian. There's only the God person. We'll talk about that person in a minute. Now, before we get into what Galatians is saying, we're going to be in chapter 3, around verse 13. There's another glimpse in the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So when you hear me make a reference to the Torah, don't just think Ten Commandments. Think Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? Now, in Deuteronomy, there was this glimpse that something was going on, that that the giving of the law was not going to be enough to redeem us, that um, we had these desires that were in us, and even though we had the rules now, so the rules came, and the rules were, you shall not have any graven images before me. This is God talking, right? Um, God is saying, you shall not murder. He's saying, you shall not covet. So God is giving us these rules, and so now we know that I may have the desire to erect an idol, but I know I'm not supposed to, so I won't. I may have the desire to steal, but I know that I'm not supposed to, so I won't. I may have the desire to covet, but I know I'm not supposed to, so I won't. So we had these parameters that came in to show us, okay, even though you may feel that you need to do a certain thing, actually, in order to be like God, the one in whose image you're made, here's how you be like God. If you have this inclination to kill, don't. Beautiful. That'll work. Right? Okay? Um, if you have this inclination to steal, don't. Okay. All right? And how many of you know, especially, um, I would love to talk to, I won't talk to you, Silas, because it's in public, but I would love to talk to a teenage boy right now and ask this teenage boy. I'd say, um, teenage boy. Alex, you be the teenage boy. Teenage brother Alex. Um, don't lust, brother. And he'll say, I had a desire to lust, but the rule said, don't, so I won't. Now, could that work? <laughs> I don't know this is going to work. Now, but it will work. It, it'll do something, right? It, it'll let you know. It, it does something to your conscience so that if you do lust, something in your conscience knows that wasn't right. If you do steal, something in your conscience knows that wasn't right. So what we're seeing is that ever since the fall, we talked about this last week, ever since the fall, not only do we still have this desire for God because we still do, but we also have this desire for sin, and I know because I have been one person who has not wanted the desire, begging God, take away my desire. I have for 10 years now wanted to get rid of even the thought of responding violently with physical violence. For 10 years, I've said, God, take away any desire to ever even use my fist for anything other than kneading bread. And I still find myself once or twice a week playing out this scenario where I'm fighting. I'm grown man. I'm in the mirror. What the heck? I know, I, I like it. I, I know it's not the way to go. I, I mean, I know what the scripture says. I know what the Lord has told me. I know what I've experienced. And still there's something inside of me that is yearning for God, yearning to be a peacemaker, and still struggling 
not to identify with the way I was raised. Because you know what would happen if young Cody came home and had blood all over his shirt and he got off at the shop where his papa worked and his uncles were there throwing darts and he had blood on his shirt and he'd been in a fight. It wasn't no, son, you know that's not the way we do. It was, get over here. How'd you do? Did you win or not? You little something or another. If I didn't win, it was, you little, and i go home, just run home crying. Then i work, boy. because this was, this was, I was seeing myself in my, I was the uncle child. And I knew every day I had to get off the bus and I'd see them and whether or not I was a success is determined by what they saw, what I heard them say. But what, <laughs> should have, well, you needed a different school bus route, right? Should have got off it somewhere else. But there was nowhere else to get off. <laughs> they was the only ones available throwing darts, right? We needed another mirror. We needed to see somehow that we were the God child, not the uncle child. The God child, not the mother child. The God child, not the father child. We needed another mirror. It was the only way we'd ever change. But until we could get the mirror, we get the rules. And the rules show us what we should and shouldn't do. And when we break the rules, our conscience gives us guilt. And, and guilt serves as that thing that, that keeps us in line, right? Unless we start numbing guilt. And then we get in a really dangerous place, right? This is where the Bible calls searing your conscience with a hot iron. When you start... Uh, shutting down the voice of guilt, when you start numbing the voice of guilt, when, when guilt starts coming, instead of listening to guilt, you start running away. When guilt starts coming, you watch another show. When guilt starts coming, you eat another snack. When guilt starts coming, you smoke another joint. But when, when I don't allow guilt to speak, I can't remember the way. I need guilt. Uh, Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. I need it. I need to know, ah, it's hot. That's what guilt does to my soul. Ah, that, that's not good for my soul. But if I numb my hand, I can touch anything, but I can no longer feel. So, God has his plan in place. He's like, I'm going to redeem these jokers. Uh, I'll even, I'll even restore their ability to feel. And so we start seeing it pop up in the prophets. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 31. It's about to get good. In Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 29. It says, when that time comes, people will no longer say, y'all hear this. Beg a listen to this right here. When that time comes, people will no longer say, the parents have eaten sour grapes, but the children's teeth have grown numb. What the heck? Jeremiah said, there's coming a time 
where no longer will the children suffer because of the parents' actions. He said, I can see something coming where, no, we've been using this proverb in Israel year after year after year. The, the parents have eaten sour grapes, therefore the children's teeth have grown numb. Some of your translations may say, the children's teeth are set on edge. What does this mean? The children are suffering the consequences of their parents' decisions. It was inevitable. And Jeremiah said, no, 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 there's something coming. There is something coming where that can't be used in Israel anymore. Verse 31, indeed, a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the old covenant that I made with their ancestors. For they violated that covenant, even though I was like a faithful husband to them. But I will make a new covenant with a whole nation of Israel after I plant them back in the land. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. He said, something is coming where they will no longer need the tablet to see where the rules are, but I will be able to get inside their heart and take away that heart that was leading them to perversion, that was leading them to evil, where they could see the rules that said don't lust, don't covet, don't steal, don't murder, and they wanted to adhere, but they couldn't. They couldn't overcome their desire. They couldn't overcome temptation. He said there's coming a time where I'm actually able to take out that heart that is prone to evil and give them one that is just like mine. Jeremiah's seeing it coming. He said, there's a new covenant coming. Then Ezekiel picks this up. In Ezekiel chapter 18, Ezekiel says, no longer will we use this proverb again in Israel. Which proverb? The parents have eaten sour grapes and their children's teeth are numb. Ezekiel said it. He said, no longer. So we got another prophet picking up on it. And then Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel basically quotes the same thing. That Jeremiah just did. Check it out. Ezekiel 36. Verse 26. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your body and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will take the initiative and you will obey my statutes and carefully observe my regulations. Who is the one doing the work? The spirit. No, notice what he said. He said, I will take the initiative. I will do the work. I will do the surgery. I will take the initiative. I will give you the desire. I will transform every single part of your being. We needed a new mirror. Remember this. We needed a new mirror. Because we're going to get to that mirror in just a minute. In John chapter 3, we're getting there. I told you we're going to get to Galatians. We might. Galatians chapter 3. Actually, just kidding. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now a certain man, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, 
who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. All right. Here's where things are about to get good. We're in this conversation, and Nicodemus is, is talking to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, oh, he said, hey, um, we know that you're from God. There's no way you're doing what you're doing unless you're from God. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. Unless a person is born from above, some of your translations say born again there, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Nicodemus asked a very logical question. Me and Ken talked about this question last week. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time, can he? Nicodemus is picking up on the fact that the only way out of this thing is to be born a second time. And he said, okay, I hear that logically. I'm bigger than I was. Jesus answered, I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound it makes, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Let's hope the wind will be blowing. Wind, if you'll blow, it'll help me in just a second. Is it blowing? Can you see the wind? You can't, Jamie. Thank you. Yeah. So Jesus is answering Nicodemus. He said, you see the wind, Nicodemus? Nicodemus is like, <clears throat> and Jesus is like, that's right. That's how this thing's going to happen. So Nicodemus is ready. He's like, okay, we need... I need the, the wind. What is the wind? The ruach. You know what the ruach is? The breath. What else is it? The spirit. All these are the same word, right? I need the spirit. Nicodemus replied, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? I, I'll tell you the solemn truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen but you people do not accept our testimony. If I've told you people about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And here's where it gets good. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. There's a story in the book of Numbers where the children of Israel begin cursing God. And as a result of their complaining and cursing God, serpents are sent into the camp to begin biting the children of Israel. Moses begins pleading on behalf of the children of Israel God, help us. There's serpents in here, and all they were doing is complaining. Help us. And here's the, the wisdom given in the book of Numbers. 
Okay, here's what I want you to do, Moses. Take a take brass and form it into a serpent and put it on a pole and put the pole in the middle of the camp because they knew according to the law in Deuteronomy that anything that is on a pole is cursed. Cursed is everyone who is on a pole. The other translation is, what we're about to see, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Okay? So they put this snake in the middle of the camp, this brass serpent, this brazen serpent in the middle of the camp. And now, what Moses said, okay, what do we do now? I've, I've complained, I've sowed these seeds of sin, now I'm reaping this harvest of this serpent. And the Lord says, okay, I've cursed the serpent. So the curse is no longer yours. But the snake's still trying to bite me. How do I get the snake to stop biting me? He said, look at the pole. He said, if you look at the pole, the snake will stop biting you. Because you're not the cursed one. The snake is. I've cursed the snake. But now, God, I thought you were the one that sent the snake. And Jesus is saying, nope. I was the one that became the cursed serpent. So that you would no longer have to reap the consequences of your sin. Now we're ready to read Galatians. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law By becoming a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles so that we could receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. Brothers and sisters, I offer an example from everyday life. When a covenant has been ratified, even though it is only a human contract, no one can set it aside or add anything to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his descendants. Scripture does not say, and to the descendants referring to many, and to your descendant referring to one who is Christ. What I'm saying is this, the law that came 430 years later does not cancel the covenant previously ratified by God so as to invalidate the promise, for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God graciously gave it to Abraham through the promise. That scripture now should make sense. And you're like, but it don't, bro. The only way we get what Paul is saying here is if we see that what is happening in Jesus Christ has been coming to a head for a very, very, very long time. That Abraham saw it. He saw the Lord's day. This is according to the book of Genesis. He sees it. And he takes his son Isaac up on this mountain to offer his son's life. Abraham saw that one day there was coming a time where this beloved son in whom the blessing would come would have to be crucified or killed or offered as a sacrifice on that mountain. It was actually the same mountain. Abraham sees this. 
God has been working this entire time. God has been the one moving toward us the entire time. As much as we've been running, God's been the one pursuing. God has been the one who has actively put in these safeguards until the fullness of the time could come that Jesus could actually manifest himself. Now here's what I want you to see. The book of 2 Corinthians, I think. What I've been talking about the entire time is that we need a new mirror. We need a new face to look at to see who we are. We need to stop identifying with the curses that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation because there has come an event through Jesus, through the accomplishments of the cross that has broken the curse that has been handed down from generation to generation now. We're not having to wait until we die to be redeemed from the curse. We can now die in Christ, be raised in Christ, and now be filled with the Spirit, no longer carrying the burdens of our fathers and our forefathers. And here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. For until this very day, this is verse 15, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul said, now we behold his face as in a mirror. And as we behold his face, the face of our Father, through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, we are now transformed into the image and likeness of our Father from one glory to another glory to another glory. No longer carrying the curse of iniquity. Now, here's what's important for us to know before we pray. None of this happens without the Holy Spirit. This does not happen because we memorize more scripture. This does not happen because we pray harder, because we fast harder, because we serve the poor more. This only happens through the wind of the Spirit. What must I do to be born again, Nicodemus said. Should I get in my mother's womb a second time? Jesus said, Nicodemus, look at the wind. And then he said, in the same way, that the serpent was lifted up on the pole, so was Jesus. And as soon as we can see that Jesus on the cross is me, the wind will blow. We need to hear it. As soon as we can see that Jesus on the cross is me, the wind will blow.
I was talking to a mama one time who was a very neglectful mother. Very neglectful. And her son uh, wound up growing up to be really perverse in his sexuality. Really perverse. And one day she and I were talking, and she said, Cody, this is my fault. I was the one that neglected him. I didn't show him compassion. I was never a mother to him. Anytime he needed nurture, sometimes I give it to him. Most of the time I was just getting high. And she said, I, I don't think he will ever get better, and I don't think I can ever be delivered from the guilt. I think I deserve to be punished. At the time she was struggling with some health issues, she said, I think I deserve to be punished. And as a good counselor, I said, you dang right you do. Just like that. I said, you dang right you do. This is your fault. And we're going to kill you for it. I said, and thankfully for you, we've already done it. Thankfully for you, whatever guilt you did incur has already been dealt with. God is not looking to punish anything else. God is not looking to chasten anything else. God is not looking to dole out any more consequences. Every consequence that was ever supposed to be doled out for sin has been dealt with in Jesus. And so when I can see him there, and I can see that's me, the wind will blow. And I'm talking about in that room, you could tell something lifted. And this woman right now, I could tell you who it was. I could tell y'all, I, Shay, I could tell you who it was. And you say, the wind's blowing in her. It ain't stopped blowing. 